As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. It's time for your weekly dose of Wayne's Comics. It's time for episode 184 of the Wayne's Comics Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. I like to interview creators who are well-known in the comics industry, but I also like to interview promising up-and-comers. And this week, I'm talking with Richard Rivera, the creator of Stabity Bunny Number no. 1, an independent comic that has made a big splash at several conventions, and we're hoping we'll do more as time progresses. Richard talks about the characters and how he got into writing comics, as well as what we can expect from him in the future. There's a lot to get to, so let's get on with the show. to the podcast, Richard Rivera, the creator of a new independent comic called Stabity Bunny. And the first issue just debuted up in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, and in Miami. So how are you doing today, Richard? Terrific, Wayne. Thanks for having me. Full disclosure right away, I helped in the comic by editing, so making sure the commas were in the right place and things like that. But you were the creator of the book. Do you want to talk a little bit about what the book is about? Sure, Wayne. The Hollywood pitch would go something like, It is a modern-day Leave it to Beaver meets Nightmare on Elm Street. And our people that are good are very good people. They live in a town where you could leave the keys in your car overnight and your car will still be there. It's kind of a modern-day town with the setting of the fictional 1950s TV world that never was. Mm -hmm. And how long have you been working on this story, bringing it to, to comics? Well, I started working on Stabity probably three years ago, started writing the backgrounds, the history, family history, the townspeople, and plotting out the story probably about two years ago. Mm -hmm. 
and you brought together a team in order to bring this book to reality. Do you want to talk a little, just briefly about the process you had to go through in order to bring everybody together? I will, and I'll try to make it brief, but it may go on for a bit because the process itself, while it was fun, did take a while. I started looking for an artist in 2014, probably in the fall. And, of course, we have all our social media, and we've got all the sites and deviant art and commissions, artists looking for comic commissions. But I just started going through every artist I could find and looking at their style and trying to visualize them working on the comic. Finally, actually, almost through happenstance, after all my hard work, Dwayne Biddix appeared. We had one mutual friend on Facebook. So I started following Dwayne. To tell you the truth, I never dared hope that he would work on the book with me, but I watched his artwork, and he seemed to be a really great guy. So after stalking him online for probably a month or two, I uh, finally approached him. And he was great, and we started talking. We seemed to really hit it off. We agreed a lot about what we thought a good comic book might be. We both loved comic books, and Dwayne had been working on some comics in the past, but right now was on a little bit of a break from that and doing some more commercial work with various assignments. So once I had Dwayne Biddix on board, then things really started moving. Mm -hmm. So he drew several pages to the book from my script, and we took one of those pages and then I began looking for a color artist. And that was its own challenge. But to cut to the chase, we were very fortunate to find Liesl Buenaventura. And we had tried several colorists, and they had done sample pages. And all of them were very good. It's just that we wanted someone who was going to add just that extra bit of atmosphere, that extra bit of mood. We wanted everybody on the team to bring their vision to the book, and for that unified whole to be even stronger than any of our single visions. And Liesl fit that bill perfectly. Great, great. Now, let's go ahead and talk about Stabity Bunny exactly, because the title is, I've experienced it, and you and I have been doing these things at conventions. People walk by and they see the name, they have to say it out loud for some reason. They say Stabity Bunny right there. And instead of, uh, of course, some people accidentally call it the wrong name, Stabity Rabbit, which is not the case. We want to make sure people, if they're following the book, Stabity Bunny. Do you want to talk about who Stabity Bunny is and who the other main people in the comic are? Well, let's start with the main person, and her name is Grace, and she is a seven-year-old child who was handed down Stabity Bunny. Now, Stabity Bunny has been with the family for a hundred years, and up till this point, he had been named Hanzi, which translates into God is Gracious, and that had been the name he had had his entire existence. But Grace received the rabbit, and very soon after... She was looking around, where's Stabity, Mom? And, of course, her, her mom is saying, well, uh, who, honey? Oh, I found him, I found him. And, of course, Grace is holding the bunny that they had always called Hansi. And so her mom questioned her, honey, the name is Hansi. And Grace replies, no, Mommy, he told me his name is Stabity. Hmm. So as far as the rest of the immediate cast, we have Amanda Lee, and she is Grace's mother. We have Magdalena, who goes by Lena. She is Grace's paternal grandmother. And then we're going to meet a lot of the town, and we're going to meet Grace's best friend in issue two. His name is Ronnie. We're going to meet some of the townspeople in issue two. 
in issue two, we also finally get to see the bad guy who's moving behind the scenes take the spotlight and take action. I don't know. We're kind of getting ahead of ourselves here. I'm talking about issue two, and we haven't really discussed issue one. So I'll kind of reel that back in. It's just that that's what we're working on right now, so that was top of mind. Mm-hmm. Now, you just completed a successful Kickstarter campaign. Do you want to talk about that? Yes, the Kickstarter. That was its own experience. We were very fortunate to be funded, and we really appreciate all the help we have from the fans out there, from our friends, and really some of the insights that some of the more experienced Kickstarter campaigners shared with us made all the difference. And I really am appreciative not only for their help and how welcoming everyone is that deals in that area. I don't really feel that there was any competition or anyone's holding any cards close. Everybody tried to help in every way they could. So it was a really good experience. Okay, great. So uh, you've met the goal, and really the Kickstarter was to fund the second issue, which is what you were talking about that uh, you're full of bore into and making happen. So as you talked a little earlier, there were two conventions you went to recently. What was your reaction to the response that you got? Well, we were overwhelmed. I mean, really, we had so many good conversations. So many people were interested in hearing about the story. And so many people came away with buying the issue and looking forward to number two, making sure they would get number two. Where do I buy this other issues as they come out? And, of course, right now we have our site, stabbitybunny.com, and we do have a merchandise page. The merchandise page right now doesn't have active order numbers, but what we're going to do is assign them item numbers, and then we'll work through PayPal rather than have a shopping cart system on our site. So you would go through, choose the items that you wanted to order, pay us through PayPal, and then make sure in your comment section to put the item numbers. Mm-hmm. Now, you sold posters and stickers and T-shirts and all the, uh, the other good things about it, which kind of all directed everybody back towards the comic, which was I thought was a great idea. Is that something you plan to do in the future as well? Absolutely. When people are walking by at a convention, there are so many things to see, and a lot of times they're on a mission. They know exactly where they're going if they're not just wandering through. And it's kind of the job of anybody that's got a table to attract their attention. So we learned a lot from our experience at Heroes, which was a great convention, but I don't think we were 100% ready yet. And we learned from that, and in the few days between Heroes and Supercon, we totally renovated our presentation. And instead, when you were walking by or driving by, if you will, we had billboards now. And those billboards might draw your attention. Maybe you like Batgirl. Maybe you like Star Trek. Something that might grab your attention along with the name Stabity Bunny and draw you in a little closer. And then once we had your attention and you were uh, willing to talk to us, we were more than willing to talk to you and explain our story. And that really led to a lot of the sales. Mm -hmm. Which was great. Being there, I remember how many people were really enthusiastic about the comic and how great it was to be able to talk with folks and they wanted your autograph and things like that, which must have been very gratifying considering how long you've been working on the book. It was. It was a little different and unexpected the first time somebody wanted to not only have an autograph but have a picture with me holding the book and with our booth as a background. You know, it's really humbling and really very grateful to anyone who embraces our story and was so enthusiastic about it. I would say that when somebody bought all three covers, we've really felt that was a big vote of confidence. Mm -hmm. 
Now, the cool thing, too, is you talk about the story. We need to get into the story a little bit because just because Grace is a seven-year-old girl doesn't necessarily mean that this is a comic for seven-year-olds or that old. You're estimating that somebody should be like at least 10 in the maturity level as far as reading the comic? I'd say that everybody's an individual. I would say if we were just grabbing at a number that, yeah, I would say 10 might be a good age level, not because there's any language in the book that's inappropriate. There will never be any inappropriate language. And I'll take this moment, too, to kind of talk about the way we handle our violence, because our violence is more along the lines of a 1950s Western, where if somebody were hung, you see not the rope around their neck and their bulging eyeballs, and you don't see their neck snap, Mm. but you either hear it through noise, or you see a shadow on the wall, or you might see their boots suddenly come on screen and dangle. We let the readers participate and really encourage them to paint their own picture when it comes to any real violence or gore that might happen within the book. In issue one, there is some violence, and it is told as shadows on the wall. Mm-hmm. Do you want to talk a little bit? Because pretty quickly, things, you know, the, the way the book starts out, it's her in her idyllic life, you know, everything's bright and colorful. And I've heard you say that she basically has the worst experience being an ice cream headache. And that changes really rapidly in the comic. Do you want to talk a little bit about how you did that intentionally, about how you designed the comic around what was happening? Well, yes. Grace sees the world as a very positive place. And she hasn't really had many bad experiences in her life. So the first page and also the intro credits page are done in very, very vibrant, bright colors. Page one is Disney-esque and over the top. I mean, you have candy and flowers and rainbows and sunshine and bluebirds flying in the corners. And then you flip to page two and the tone is suddenly quite a lot darker. So not only in content, but also just visually, the impact of opening to those darker pages, I felt was magnified just by the contrast. When you first open the book, you know, there's almost sunlight beaming into your eyes. You almost have to cover your eyes to not be blinded. And then when you turn the page, the darkness is there. It's all that much darker. The entire book is about her abduction and the resolution of that situation. So it doesn't give away any major spoiler to say that, on page two by panel three, Grace is abducted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and things go from there. And why don't you talk a little bit about the bad guy, quote unquote, in this? Because he's actually taken on a fandom all his own, which I find interesting. Talk a little bit about Larry and his role in all this. Well, we find out very little about him in issue one. We do know that he owns at least one pawn shop named after him. And he's a very massive man. He's very tall, and he's quite large. So he's even more imposing to a small seven-year-old girl. He can literally carry her in his two open hands. Mm -hmm. That's really great, because he is a great villain in the sense because Grace is so overwhelmed by him. You know, her being, you know, taken, uh, there's no way in the world that she could possibly fight him on any level. So you begin to see just the situation she's in. And I also think the artist and the colorist did a beautiful job of making the whole situation as it develops over the book really great. 
So I, I really like that. It was just kind of interesting, too. Do you want to talk a little bit about, because Liesl added a couple of levels of color to it that really added to the story. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yes. When you're first working with a new color artist, it takes a little while for everybody to mesh and everybody to get on the same page. We had a few edits back and forth. Once we got over that initial process, everything really clicked. And anything I asked Liesl to accomplish, she did. And she did so magnificently. One scene comes to mind, which is the last page. And we won't spoil anything other than to say all the panels, it's a static kind of zoom in shot. So there's no movement other than getting closer to one point in the page. And we still wanted to have movement. And I will say that this scene takes place in a car. So we had the car passing streetlights. So the light source would change every other panel from more of a blue to more of a yellow streetlight source. So that worked very well. I'd say another page that stands out in my mind immediately is right in the center of the book, right by the staple. We have a very dramatic splash page. And Dwayne did a fantastic job with it. All the bones of the page, the architecture, everything is just done so well. And then Liesl added that extra bit of emotion. She added to the mood. She put a glowing full moon behind some clouds. And you've just got those extra layers. And then you have the branches of the trees trapping that. And she also had another light effect on that page, which I won't say what that is exactly. Is um, It would be a spoiler. But yes, it was very gratifying to see that page come to life. And actually, at this point, if I may, I'm going to veer off a little bit and talk about seeing some of those things for the first time. Because I had written this story, and very specifically this script, and of course, I tend to overwrite, and I've got plenty of details about every panel, and thank goodness Dwayne was very patient with me. But to see his first character concept sketches come through, and to see the characters through his eyes brought to life for the first time, that was amazing. I think now, even as we work on issue two, though it hasn't been a very long time as far as period of time, because that was at the end of 2014, it does feel a lot different now as you've gone through the process of the whole creation of a comic book, the publication, and you're working on future issues and planning issues beyond those future issues. Being someone who had been writing for decades and putting away series and series ideas and character ideas basically in boxes, to see the first character come to life and to see it done so well and to feel a connection with your artist that he gets it. That was just incredible. Mm -hmm. It must be something because, you know, most of us are people who enjoy comics to listen to this podcast and to suddenly make your own comic. It must have been really something to see them come to life all of a sudden on the page. And, of course, you went through the whole process, too, of creating, a, you know, not only getting the art and then getting the coloring and the lettering. And at each stage as you went through it, it was a new experience for you. Do you, you want to talk a little bit about that, what that was like for you? Well, yes, as I was saying, the character sketch was incredible, and you're really jazzed, and you're excited, and like, look, look, there's Larry. And then you get the other characters, and suddenly you see Grace, and Amanda, and Glyph, who we may talk about a little bit more later. Mm -hmm. That stage was exciting. But then to see the pages start to come together, every single bit of that was incredible. I mean, you see first the roughs to the pages, and you see kind of how things are going to be laid out, and then seeing the inked pages... And seeing that finished, that was amazing. Mm -hmm. 
and then to find the colorist and to pass it off to the colorist. And then also I want to say our letterer, James Reed, did a fantastic job as well. So then that next step was getting it to James Reed. And each time you think you're there, you think, wow, this is great. This is like a comic now. I'm seeing my comic page for the first time. <laughs> well, then that lettering comes in. And then you finally have that final piece and I don't think people consciously overlook the various steps ever, mm -hmm. but I have to tell you, I've got a brand new respect for both the color artist and for the letterer. They are so essential, and sometimes I feel that they don't always get all the credit that they're due. But in this case, everybody on the team really, really contributed their part, and it wouldn't be the book it is without every person that was on the team, including the editor. Mm -hmm. And, of course, the first book, the, the pacing is really quick. And, you know, you start off really quickly shifting things into high gear. And one of the important things, too, is, is not to lose character in that. And we get to know Grace pretty well as to how she goes through and deals with the circumstance, as well as her mom. The two of them we really come to understand quite well. And I think that was a really great job to do that because, you know, if we don't care about the characters, then the story doesn't mean much to us. But I think you really did a good job on bringing those to life. You and Dwayne and Liesl all created something that I think when people read will just fall into and really get to enjoy and care about these people. So I think that's a great thing. Did you pattern these people after anyone that you knew? No, not really. I'd say that as you were talking about the story, in issue one, anything that doesn't drive the story of the abduction forward doesn't get a spotlight. Some of the things that happen offstage and some of the more critical story points that logically need to fit in for you to understand, well, you know, Grace was taken from a field trip. Where are the police, mm -hmm. et cetera? We do deal with those things, but very obliquely. A lot of it is summed up in one word balloon said by Grace's mother, Amanda. We don't want to leave big plot holes where the reader feels uncomfortable and wonders why we didn't address it. But I can assure you anything that wasn't addressed in the dialogue or in some fashion is actually a story point that will come to light later. The thing we haven't really discussed is I've written three 12-issue arcs. In the first arc, Grace is seven years old. And in the second one, she is 12. And in the last concluding arc, Grace is 17. So we're starting our story out. We know exactly where we're going. Everything is already plotted out and ready to go. If anything, with the story has had to evolve some, just to give it some more breathing room, we're going to have to do longer issues as we get to the middle of the first arc, because occasionally there's going to be some scenes that just deserve the full the Dwayne Biddick's treatment for a splash page or for some additional drama, and his art has just been too good to miss some of those opportunities. So after working with Dwayne and Liesl, I know now that I don't have to worry about holding back, that anything I throw at them to create visually, they'll be able to handle. Mm, great. That must give you a lot of confidence going forward. Absolutely. I mean, we start out with a very fast-paced horror, mystery, suspense story that starts out page two, she's abducted, and we tell the complete tale and conclude that scenario in that one issue, but we also tease what's to come. And also some of the things that are revealed as we go through that we don't take the time to look at too closely reveal some of the mysteries that we'll be dealing with, particularly with Amanda, Grace's mother, and really Grace herself. She's a very, very kind, very sweet, Disney-esque 
marvelous child, Mm -hmm. but she's also very smart. She's very resourceful. And one of the slogans I've used to refer to Grace is one little girl can make a big difference Mm -hmm. because she really is the key to stopping what's going on with her town. We haven't really talked about that either yet too much, but Mm -hmm. basically an ancient evil will overwhelm her hometown, her town of Holiday, Vermont, unless Grace and her plush bunny can stop it. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't even realize that at the beginning of things. And it takes this event to kind of bring, maybe not necessarily in her consciousness, but to the people around her, that things are going on that they need to be aware of or deal with. Yes. And as the story hints at, the fact that Grace was abducted is, of course, terrifying. But some of the particulars, some of the things about the story that we don't fully understand at this point, as a reader, some of the things that were going on behind the scenes there made it very clear to Amanda that this was no ordinary kidnapping. Mm-hmm. And that's something that uh, we'll deal with more as the book goes forward. So that's good stuff. Now, if somebody wants to get a copy of Stabity Bunny, number one, how do they do that? Well, we're going to be still appearing at various conventions, but not everybody can make it to a convention. We're going to have the ability to order it online from our store, and we're also looking to get a digital version online, and we're going to be pursuing that more aggressively now that the initial flurry of craziness is behind us and we can kind of catch our breath. So I would say that this is happening in July. I would say by the end of July, if you go to stabbitybunny.com, the issue will have an item number, as will many of our posters and our T-shirts and our stickers, Speaking of our posters, real quick, what we've done there is we've injected Grace into scenarios where her childhood imagination has her being the hero. Hmm. And she enjoys a very active imagination, and she gets all over the place and into space. Very good. Yeah, those are fun. A lot of people really like the look of those things. It was fun to see kind of a reimagining. And uh, one of the ones that I remember people really enjoyed was the, the Star Trek one, which is sort of an homage to Leonard Nimoy. It's gone over pretty big. Do you want to talk a little bit about that one? Well, yes. His passing was something that I believe impacted a lot of Star Trek fans, but not only Star Trek fans, but just people who appreciated all the work he had done in other shows as well. And he really exuded a quality of uh, kindness and being a great person as well as the talent. And we're part of a Star Trek club, Mm. the USS Haven, and we have people who bring their children, their grandchildren, and they attend our meetings. And we have five and seven and 10 and 12-year-olds that were very familiar with Mr. Spock and Leonard Nimoy, and we wanted to do a tribute And, of course, Grace is a seven-year-old who was exposed to Star Trek. Mm -hmm. And we have Spock's image appearing in a starry night sky. And Dwayne Biddix did a great job of both capturing the sadness that Grace felt, but also just the respect and the hope that really Star Trek in general and its positive approach to the future gives the world. We have so many series that show us how wrong everything's going to go. Mm And I enjoy those series, and in no way am I taking away from them. Mm -hmm. But it is nice to also have a series where it's envisioned that there will be peace and that uh, diversity will be embraced 
and that prosperity will be there for everyone. That's just kind of the nice vision of the future Mm -hmm. that, not to go off on a Star Trek tangent, but that's one of the things I enjoy about Star Trek. Mm -hmm. So, any idea when issue number two is going to be available? Absolutely. Issue number two will be available by the end of September. We're hoping for earlier than that, but I want to set deadlines that I know we can make. So we've got issue two, the end of September. We have issue three, either at the very end of December or the beginning of January. After that, we're going to try to pick up pace. We would like to be a bi-monthly book with hopes of one day becoming a monthly book because we want to get that first 12 issues out. That first arc is going to end in a very powerful way, and everything that's happened from issue one two, three, all pays off in issue 11 and 12. Great, great. So we've got a lot to look forward to. And Richard, wish you much success. I'm looking forward to getting things done together. I know that the script is pretty much together on issue two. So things are moving forward. And anybody who's interested, how can they follow your progress? You're on Facebook and I think also on Twitter, aren't you? We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter, at Stabity Bunny. And also our website. We'll be updating our website and keeping that active and fresh. You won't see any stale postings, and we want to be there. If you're interested in our story, we certainly want to keep you interested, and we want to reward you with more information. So we will be very active going forward. Great. Well, much success, Richard, and we look forward to seeing Stabity Bunnies number two and three and so on. So keep up the great work. All right. Thank you, Wayne. People need dramatic examples to shake them out of apathy, and I can't do that as Bruce Wayne. As a man, from flesh and blood, I can be ignored, I can be destroyed, but as a symbol. Get the latest from the comics universe. News, interviews, previews, and reviews. Listen to the weekly Wayne's Comics Podcast, so you can keep reading your comics. That's it for this week. Be sure to be back next time when I'll have another great interview with yet another terrific comics creator. But until then, keep reading your comics.